Well, Happy New Year, everybody. 2019. We made it. 2019. You survived 2018. Here's the one thing we can all be encouraged about, especially if you live in the inland Northwest for more than one year, is every single day from here on till the middle of June, it gets a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter. Can we get excited about that? That's awesome. December 21st, longest, darkest day of the year, and then every day after that, you're like, it's getting just a little bit, just a little bit. So as we kick off this new year, uh, we're kicking off this uh, series called The Games We Play, and it got me thinking, you know, what are some fun games that you enjoy playing? So I'd love to t- you to turn to the people next to you, uh, introduce yourself if you've not done so already, and what is a favorite game that you love to play? What's a favorite game that you enjoy playing with uh, people in your life? Go ahead and do that now. All right, we'd love, uh, love to hear a few of these. It's been fun in each service, you know, on some of the games that you play. So what's the game? Yeah. Basketball. Basketball. Good game. Yeah. Football. Football. Better game. What's that? Mexican train. Love it. Yeah. Dodgeball. <laughs> I can't even go there. Yeah. Apples to apples. That's a new one. Boo? You <laughs> can't boo somebody else's game. <laughs> that was awesome, yeah. Monopoly. Yeah, I know. Now it's gonna, now it's gonna be everybody's gonna say boo. All right, one more before we start hating each other. Fortnite. I was waiting for it. Yeah. Fortnite fans. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even here, my son. Here it is at winter camp. That's the best. Last one. Chess. And nobody booing that one. It's the only service you boot each other when the games that you play. This is going to be a sermon for all y'all. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> that was for you, Brad, y'all. You get that, the Texas. All right. So uh, games are fun. They're fun to play with each other. But the problem is that games are lethal when we bring them into relationships. They're actually a game because the primary reason for most games is that there becomes at the end of it a winner and a loser. And so if you bring that into relationships and you have somebody who's won in the argument or conversation, more often than not, it actually hurts, hinders, or actually eventually destroys the relationship. Now, you might be a person who says, no, 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 Dan, I I just like to play games with each other because it's just fun. I don't care who wins or loses. You're probably the same person that loves participation trophies to kids who barely show up to practice. You know, that's all I'm saying, you know, along those lines. Um, I'm not really kidding on that either. Um, So to win, there is a win. There is a win. When it comes to relationships, there is a win. And the win is that we are actually better together than what we could be individually. We're actually better. That's what a win in relationships. So I am better in my life. You're better in your life. Uh, When we have friends, neighbors, coworkers, bosses, parents, and for some of us, spouses and kids. Uh, But you might say, well, Dan, I, I, I actually don't like some of those people in my life. Well, we'll get there. You know, I promise, well, actually, get there, just hang with me. The problem is that we tend to find ourselves wanting relationships in our lives that will benefit us. Uh, in other words, uh, we, we find ourselves saying, well, I, I want my needs, my wants, and my desires benefited, 
And if I'm in a relationship and they're not being benefited the way that I think they should be benefited from, that I should be benefiting from, then I will intentionally or unintentionally play games in that relationship to get people to do what I want or what I think that I need. And when we play those games in these relationships is what begins to destroy these relationships if you do it and I do it over time. And so we're going to go through three games that most of, us find, most of us find ourselves playing in when it comes to any kind of relationship. So it's not just for married people, although there'll be some marriage examples. It's for all if you find yourselves in a relationship. So the first lethal game that we find ourselves playing when it comes to relationship is called the change game. Okay, the change game. It's the I want you to change whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you're living to do it my way. Uh, and, and, and you might find yourself at the beginning of relationships, you find yourself you know, going, well, I love you and you love me and you're at this kind of honeymoon stage of newness stage, new job, new whatever, and you're really doing everything well. And then all of a sudden you realize that person isn't like me. At some point in the relationship, you realize that person isn't like me. In fact, if they would just think, if they would act, if they would do the things in life that I know to be right, our relationship would be so much better and the world would be better for it. That's the reality of what we think when it comes to relationships in our lives. In fact, we found a, a humorous video that I think illustrates this point, you know, when it comes to this idea of trying to change other people to do things our way. And though, even though it's a marriage video, I think you can still relate to the example. Go ahead and watch the screen with me now. What are you doing? Drying my hands? Those are the decorative towels. You can't use them. Why? Because they're decorative. Then why are they out? Because they're decorative. That's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is disgusting. Can you please go do it in the bathroom? Why? I don't want to miss the dessert round. No, you do this all the time, and I'm constantly finding people. I don't know where that went. How wonderful life is. Now you're in my world. My no, world. It's no, it my is, world. No, it is the world. Close all the way. Close all the way. Close all the way. Isn't that nice? Don't give him that. His stomach can't handle it. He'll get sick. Oh, he's a cat. He's fine. Told you. Shut up. Did you take a lactate? No. I'll be fine. Told ya. Shut up. You know where I saw this earlier? The bathtub. Oh yeah, I needed to scrub it. Yeah, but I just found it in the sink. I needed to do dishes after. What? It touched soap. If it touched soap, that means it's clean. You can't just make up your own rules to suit you as we play the game. Well, stop taking the fun out of it then. I'm not taking the fun out of it. What takes the fun out of it is when you cheat. <gasps> What's up? What's up? You left the toilet seat up. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just put it down. <laughs> you might be able to relate just a little bit. Now... Uh, again, the idea is this idea of preference, this idea of, of difference, and we're trying to change each other, but yet there's nothing more toxic to a relationship than the constant trying to change the other person to be like us. If you've ever been on the receiving end of that, it doesn't feel good. 
It feels awful. It feels like you don't measure up, that you're not enough, that, that, there's, that there's, there's no winning because you're not doing it like the other person wants you to do whatever it is they're asking you to do. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, that, uh, wait, when it comes to kids, isn't it our goal to change them? And it's not. Our goal is not to change our kids. We're supposed to help shape and mold our kids, and if you're a follower of Christ, into the image of God, but it's not to actually change them into what we want them to be instead of who God designed them to be. Let me give you an example. Uh, I have, uh, as you guys know, an adopted daughter, seven years old. Now she's eight. She's been with us over a year, and she's literally been to dozens and dozens of basketball and football games. And recently, she sat me down. Not really. I was in her room, and she looks at me, and she says, Daddy, I don't like sports. <laughs> Can you really be a shield and not like sports? I have failed as a father already. And so I'm thinking, I've got to you do one of two things. I'm either going to press in more and make her and make her and make her to change her to like the things that I like or that our family like, or I've got to start getting used to things that are pink and sparkly and play with dolls and those kinds of things that are a little bit foreign to me. Now, some of you can completely understand because you either have kids that you're trying to change to be more like you or you've grown and you realize back then, my parents tried harder for me to be more like them than recognizing who I have been created to be. See the difference when it comes to crazy kids? Uh, now, some of you, you know, also might say, well, Dan, I'm a boss, I'm a coach, I'm a teacher. Aren't I supposed to change those around me? encouraging change, absolutely. Setting expectations for being on the team or in the classroom or you know, uh, in the job. Here's the job description. Absolutely, holding people accountable to that, for sure. But your job is not to change them. Have you ever tried to change an uncoachable kid? You ever, you ever tried to change someone, a kid in the classroom who has zero desire to listen to anything that you say? It's incredibly difficult. Actually, here's the way that we would say it. And some of you guys are going to push back at first, but hang with me. It's impossible to change permanently another human being, to change permanently. Now, people do change, and that is the good news. However, people don't change long-term. People don't change people long-term. Uh, what you'll find is that people motivated by benefit will change in the short run until the benefit has been received in the person's life. Or they'll change short-term by fear because of persecution, punishment, or ramifications. And, but yet, once you take away the benefit of the fear, the person goes back to being themselves. You see, the only long-term change is when you and I choose to change. When we actually surrender to change. When we say, you know what? That's not a bad idea. I'm open to being a better man, learning more on the job, being a better husband for me, father, student, whatever it may be. When I choose to change, then I'm open and needing accountability in my life to see the change being sustained. See the difference? Now, there is a pathway, because I don't want to leave you discouraged. There's a pathway where we can come alongside people to help them see maybe some change that could take place in attitude and behavior. But the question becomes, what if the pathway to changing people isn't changing people, but there's a different approach, something that may sound opposite at first? In other words, what does it mean to walk along in life 
with someone else that produces health and wholeness in them, but also in our shared relationship, whatever that may be. With that in mind, the Bible has a lot to say about this. God has a lot to say about this. So go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. While you're turning there, you know, uh, some of these will be on the screen, others which will not. Here's what you need to know. If you get nothing else out of today, I'm going to sum it up for you. The key to helping others change, get this, it's going to sound opposite, is to actually accept them. The key to helping others change is to accept them. Now, hang with me for a few minutes. To accept is not passive, okay? But it's to wrap your arms, wrap your life, and your heart, soul, mind, and strength around that person. Now, I realize that we live in a culture that says, yes, finally, accept me. I can do whatever the heck I want with whomever I want, however I want, and that's okay. And that's not what that word means as as it pertains to what God's word has to say. Uh, Like, let me give you two examples. Uh, uh, For those who are not yet followers of Christ, okay? Uh, If you ever encounter someone, and I know there are people here in this this morning who are here, not yet followers of Christ, can you, who are followers of Christ, love people who are not followers of Christ, who don't ascribe or believe what you believe, and don't live a way that you believe it should be lived? Can you do that? Uh, Let me help you out, those of you who are followers of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one begotten son. He didn't love only those who were going to accept him. He didn't just love those who loved him back. He loved the world. So there was an ability to be able to connect and yet not agree with everything that a person believes, says, acts, or lives. Uh, uh, Here's a more modern way of saying it. People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. You realize that, right? You might have truth on your side, and it could be major truth or little truth, but most people, we have truth at our fingertips called the intranet, aren't going to ascribe by the truth until they see that there's an actual acceptance and relationship. It's the pathway. How do I know this? Jesus, right? What, what would he do? The, the, the people he hung around, the religious people, looked at Jesus and said, man, look at that guy. He hangs out. He accepts sinners, prostitutes, and above all else, tax collectors. You know, in our day, it doesn't quite translate. But, you know, maybe it does if you dealt with tax collecting people. Um, You know, so, you know, along those lines. So you see Jesus is modeling a pathway forward that actually encourages change in people's lives. Okay, hang with me. What about those of you who are followers of Christ? Let me talk to you for a second. We are called to confront believers when it's obvious and harmful to them or others. You do realize that, right? So a lot of people say, don't judge me. I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. As soon as you say, I'm a follower of Christ, you have signed up to be a part of something like you would a job or a sports team, and you've willingly be a part of it, which means there is a responsibility, not just on your end, but on the community's end, to help you in that process to become more like Jesus Christ. The Bible says, confront one another. Uh, It says, you know, uh, rebuke even, you know, one another. But here's the key. Why? Why do we confront? Why do we rebuke, you know, one another? If the purpose of our rebuke or confrontation is to make us feel better, don't do it. If it's not for the benefit of the other person in relationship with others and with God, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. I've heard that before, right? 
You need to hold on and you need to ask, what's my motivation? Is it for their good and their benefit? Then yes, you need to do it. And that's what we've been called to do. Now, the Apostle Paul, who is a church planter, he started these churches. He's the one that wrote this letter we're about to read to the church in Rome. And here's what he says. Like I said, the first three verses will be on the screen. The rest of it, I want you to see it in your own phones or, you know, um, uh, we have a Bible in the back as a gift from us to you. Notice the first word in Romans 14.1. Accept, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. Okay, let me give you some context. Apostle Paul is talking about matters that are disputable. In other words, you have an idea of how to live in faith and connection with God. This other person has an idea on how to live in faith and connection with God. And he's saying, stop arguing. Stop trying to change one another in the relationship because you're hurting the relationship and you're not getting the change that you're looking for. That's his context. So he gives us an example. Verse two. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. So one person who has strong faith eats fried chicken all the time. The other person who has weak faith eats only kale, right? So I'm just modernizing it, you know, just, just a little bit. So next time somebody criticizes your eating habits, you can look at them and say, well, my faith is strong, yours is weak, mic drop, walk out of that restaurant, okay? <laughs> right? When it, comes to, when, it comes, when it comes to eating. Now, Here's the thing. Some of you eat really healthy, and it's really, really good. The question is, when you look at the person who's not eating healthy, do you find yourself accepting the person or judging the behavior? Process that. See, it's not even about eating. He's just using it as an example. See, what do we do when we encounter a disputable matter, a matter of strong opinion that one person can make over another in relationship. Our tendency is not to accept the other person's idea, thought, attitude, or behavior that's in a disputable matter like what we saw in the video behind me, but it's actually to make judgment because if they would just do things the way we think it should be done, everything would go well. So we keep trying to change them. Why are you always late? Why do you drive the way you drive? Why do you buy those kinds of things? Why don't you put toilet paper on the right side where the roll comes off the top or off the bottom? You know, the important things in life. Why do you do that? Because you believe that is the right way. And there might be a good case for it. Who knows? Romans 14, 3. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. See, God has accepted both of them. He's saying both are right from your perspective. Now, let me give you some context. In this church, there are people who've grown up Jewish who become Christians. In this church, there are people who were never raised Jewish and they become Christians. Those who were never raised Jewish understand based on their understanding of connection with God that we read in other passages of scripture in the New Testament that they can eat anything like pig, like of course God lets us eat bacon. Can I get an amen? Right? Right? Yeah. Whereas Jewish people were raised differently, and there would be foods that they would eat or not eat. You would say it would be kosher to eat or not. And so even though they become Christians, and they are allowed to eat, even according to God, what they want, they're choosing to honor God by not eating bacon. 
So you got the bacon and the non-bacon people. And here's the problem. One person's trying to change the other. They're like, gosh, if you would just see how harmful bacon is for you in your life. And the person says, I am so free and happy to eat bacon. You're missing out. What's wrong with you? And they're hurting the relationship, trying to change the other person's mind. And the Apostle Paul's saying, look, guys, God accepts both of you. If you want to not eat bacon, praise the Lord. If you want to eat bacon, praise the Lord. Quit arguing about this and understand that God accepts both of you. Which I need, think I need to pause and make this important statement. If we don't feel accepted by God, we won't accept others. If we don't be accepted by God, because here's what will happen. In your attempt to make yourself in right standing with God, it becomes a works thing. So you start doing these things, not because it's beneficial for your life or the lives of other people, but you think it because it makes you in good standing with God, so you do these things. And then you look around and you find that other people are not doing the same things that you think need to be done. So you look at them and say, what's wrong with you? You should be a better follower of Christ or you don't have good standing with God because you're not doing these things. One day you may realize that there's nothing you could have done, nothing you'll ever do that will earn your standing before God. That Jesus took it all, that his way he sees us as a right standing with God isn't based on what you have done, it's based on what he has done. And he has accepted us and when we accept him back, we enter into this mutual relationship which is absolutely phenomenal. Now, you, you might have heard this, this, this golden rule, right? When it comes to changing people, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You may have said something like this to your kids. Do you like it when they do that to you? No. Well, how does it feel when you do that to other people or vice versa? You know, how does it feel when you do that to someone? Remember when they did that to you? Don't do that. Golden rule is not bad to live. But I read this last week of a diamond rule that I think is actually better. Treat others the way God has treated you. It's a whole different standard. You see, God loved you before you were lovable. See, while we were still sinners, while we were still separated, he still died. He still accepted. He still reached out. Regardless of how you responded, he's still reaching out. How patient has God been with you versus our patience with other people? How forgiving has God been with you and me versus our forgiveness of other people? See, the diamond rule, treat others the way God has treated you, and all of a sudden you'll find yourself in more of an accepting posture, helping to encourage and foster change without playing the change game. See, here's what's crazy. I changed in my life because I recognize that God has accepted me, and out of that acceptance, I surrender myself to him, and I find myself repenting. I find myself on my knees saying, God, I cannot believe what you have done for me. I recognize how far away I am from you. You sacrificed it all for me. I surrender to the only permanent change that can happen, which is your work inside of me as I surrender myself to you. See, God won't force us. He stands at the door of our hearts and knocks, you might remember from Christmas Eve. He's not making us do those things, and yet we try to make others conform to our thoughts and our ideas. See, and this is going to make sense in just a second, but the why behind the what is key on disputable matters that you have with other people in your life. The why behind the what. Look at verses 4 through 9. Who are you, and this one will not be on the screen, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help they will stand and receive his approval in the same way some think one day, don't miss this, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is, notice the word again, acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day 
do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so, the why, to honor him, since God gives, since we, they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves and die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if it's to die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and the dead. The why behind the what is key on disputable matters. So again, we have Jews in this church and Gentiles in this church in which he's writing. Here's the thing. Jews worship God and set aside a day for God called a Sabbath unlike a Saturday. These Gentiles are understanding the first day of the week is maybe a Sunday. They want to worship God there. The Jews are like, how dare you worship God on Sunday? And the guys on Sunday are like, well, what's wrong with you worshiping God on Saturday? And Paul's like, what's wrong with both of you guys? Because the matter is not what you do, it's the why behind the what. If it's to honor the Lord, great. If you choose to eat you know, uh, meat or not meat, that's fine. Why do you choose to do it is the key. The why behind the what. So uh, <laughs> let's get specific to our day. With maybe some disputable matters that could take place between Christians. How about uh, Halloween? Halloween. Now some choose not to observe Halloween because its origin is a pagan, ritualistic, satanic holiday. And so people say, because of its origin and because of the way that it was created, I choose to honor the Lord by not participating in Halloween. Is that person wrong? No. Their why behind the what is great. They're choosing not to. Then there's these other people who dress their kids up in Disney outfits, go door to door, and then they hand out these large candy bars with invitations to church. These people are crazy. They're nuts. Now, are they wrong in the way in which they're celebrating Halloween? No. The why behind the what? But Dan, it's a ritualistic pagan holiday. You're right. If you worship Satan on Halloween, that's wrong. That makes it easy. Okay? But we, get, we dive into something that's a disputable matter, and what undisputes it or makes it clear is why do we do it not what do we do. The why behind the what is what matters. That's what he's addressing here. Uh, let me give you another one that Christians love to talk about. Worship music. Oh, our favorite worship music. There are some crazy people who believe it's okay to play loud, upbeat music and use haze and lights. Those people are sinners. <laughs> right? Is it okay? Other people believe that it's best to have lower volume. It's best to have you know, a uh, piano, it's best to have guitar, maybe, you know, campfire experience, hymns more on a regular basis. I grew up with hymns. I love hymns. Not, I'm not downing hymns at all. What about people who believe that? It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's where it becomes a disputable matter. When we start attaching motive to the other person on why they're doing that. So you're saying, well, all you guys are doing is you're just a bunch of show, right? It's just all about show. It's all about, you know, glorifying you. And they would be right if Kenny, for example, was up here going, yeah, look at me, the why behind the what matters. But if he's there to worship the Lord, it's a preference issue, isn't it? The why behind, that's what he's saying here, once again. Both are right. But we're trying to change the other person, thus bringing harm into the relationship. It's a big deal. Paul says our lives are connected. We live to honor God. Whether we live or we die, to honor him. Okay, verse 14. 
So why do you condemn another believer? Oh, why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, the Lord says, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So we're going to give a personal account to God, which means God accepts, but he also judges. Some of us get confused. Like, wait a minute, if he loves everybody, doesn't mean he tolerates everything. And with that comes judgment. So we like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yes, it does. Have you ever been a parent? Can you accept and judge the person you love? Absolutely. You will not have Fortnite privileges the rest of this weekend. Maybe that's just my house. Yes. I know you're not excited about that. <laughs> There's judgment that's taking place, but it's out of love. It's out of connection. See, understand, each of us will give a personal account to God. Think about this for a second. In your desire to change other people, you do realize you're going to stand before God. You're not standing before God on behalf of your spouse on your coworker, on your neighbor, your son, your daughter, each person individually has to stand before God. Here's the bottom line. When we try to change someone, we put stress on the relationship and it fails to produce sustainable change and ultimately will damage the relationship. When we go about it from an acceptance standpoint, not like I'm just gonna tolerate everything you do because like we said, even as followers of Christ, you can rebuke and love one and, and, and challenge one another when it's harming them and harming other people. But I don't want to leave you with just that. Because some of you guys are like, but I've got issues in my life. I've got people. How do I help change them? Okay, let me just try to say it even more practically. Ready? How can I encourage change in another person? Here's the first way. Love is the greatest driver for change. We know that. That's what we're talking about. Love, acceptance, the greatest driver for change. Uh, Jesus says this way, love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what's crazy. Jesus says, love your enemies. So the greatest opportunity to change an enemy is actually going to take place through love. I know, I hate that one too. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> love your greatest. Okay, um, here, here's, actually, here's a different way to say it. Choose to accept and love the child, the friend, and the spouse or boss you have, not the one you want. Choose to accept the one you have, not the one you want. Oftentimes, we intentionally unintentionally are trying to change someone. The other person feels so insecure in the relationship because they can never measure up to become whatever standard that you and I think this should be. I've made this mistake in my life. Uh, have you ever wondered why there's always someone in your life that just bugs the crud out of you? you ever wondered that? That there's always somebody annoying, you know, in your life. I think there might be something to that. Could it be that sometimes the change that God wants to do in us is what is going to happen when we encounter people that we don't like. How do we learn patience? How do we learn joy, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Isn't it more often in difficult relationships than in easy ones? So could the person that you're thinking of that drives you up a wall be there to be used by God to help you grow in something, even though that may not be their intent, but God's going to use that to grow something in you to help change you? Just as a thought, and you're like, right now, Dan, aren't you about done speaking? Yep, then we're about done. <laughs> I hate that one too. Okay, so first, you know, is love is the greatest driver for change. Second, model. First thought about modeling the change? Model the change. Instead of just griping about it, model it. Uh, the Bible says it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's a model, it's an example. Follow my life. Uh, if we just get, you know, little things. If you are really tired of people's messes, be cleaner in your own life. Sick and tired of them being late, just be early. 
Give them models, not, see, I told you this way is better. You know, just model, show what's different, which leads us to the next one. Present ideas of change, but then let it go. Okay, some of you guys are like, I can't say anything. No, constantly present ideas of change, but you let it go. Here's what I can tell you. I've been married for 20 some years now. 21, 22, 21 years. I've been married 21 years. I cannot remember a single instance where my wife nagged me into change and it worked. I don't think it's worked the other way either. Never works. But an opportunity, because I know that she loves me, where she will say, hey, have you thought about, it would really help me if you, because of my love for her, I actually want to try to meet some of those needs or some of those desires or some of even those wants just because we're in a relationship with one another and I know that she accepts me and loves me irregardless, but if this dishes or these you know, vacuuming or helping to take the kids wherever it may be is a help and benefit to her, it's going to benefit our relationship win-win. All right? I, that one took me a long, long, long time to figure, figure out, by the way. Sometimes it's unawareness, too. You do realize that. Sometimes the people in your house are like, oh, it gets me so frustrated that they're not or that they're doing this on a regular basis. And they're walking around house like, I have no idea. You've never made them aware. Oh, yes, I have. I've said these things. I've done these things. I've ignored them. I'm like, no, no, no. If you're talking to a guy, oblivious, no idea. You actually have to speak words, you know, <laughs> not nagging words, but just in when we're in a good situation for us to actually hear and understand, which leads to the next one. Choose to be curious. Make a choice to be curious. When somebody's presenting a change or idea, have you ever thought, why? So, but the way I celebrate Christmas is the right way. Why would you celebrate it on Christmas Eve? That's just weird. Nobody really does that. Everybody's supposed to celebrate Christmas by opening one present at a time until the whole, everybody gets to enjoy one. That's the right way to do it. Well, there is another way. Nope, not if it's not, it's the wrong way. Be curious. I say, well, why? why? Why do you do it that way? Why, do you, why are decorative towels important to you? As you saw in the video. Things that make sense. Or pillows, decorative pillows. Okay, choose to be curious. When, not if, when you get frustrated, pray. That is the opposite of what most of us do. When we get frustrated, we get elevated. But what if, when we get frustrated, we turn to prayer? Uh, and I know I'm speaking as a guy, but uh, ladies, if you have problems with your husbands that are deeper and significant, here's what I would challenge and encourage you. Every time you get frustrated with what he is or is not being, you know, in your life, uh, which by the way, I heard somebody say, somebody told me one of the last services, you know, I think it was on Thursday, they said, you know, you know, guys find the perfect gal and they marry him because it's the perfect gal. Gals marry a guy that they're really hoping becomes the perfect guy. You know, I was like, eh, maybe it's the truth there, you know. So in that, so I'm just saying, gals, just specifically, pray Pray specifically that God brings another guy into his life that will help him see the change. Again, you can't change him. He has to want to change. And so sometimes the best thing you can do is turn your frustration to prayer. Which lastly, once change is agreed upon, then you've got to follow up with loving accountability. You've got to follow up. Because I can choose to change. Why do New Year's resolutions fail all the time? It's because we don't have accountability in our lives. 
So I'm choosing to change. I'm like, I'm going to change this, but I will fail miserably if I don't have other people to walk this journey with me. That's what God has designed. If you want to encourage permanent change in another person, enter into relationship with other people. When they finally get to the point where they say, I want to change, then you say, are you open to accountability? They say yes, then you enter into a life-changing relationship. That can happen in your home, at work, neighbors, friends. It works. What doesn't work is the change game. See, here's what I can tell you. You might come here every single week. I could talk to him blue in the face every single week. I could give you scripture after scripture after scripture. We can pray constantly, but it can change nothing until you say, you know what? I'm going to choose to change. The choice, as we said even on Christmas Eve, is yours every single week. So here's the choice. Who and how will you choose to accept the person in your life? Could be a boss, could be a student, could be a friend, could be a neighbor, could be a spouse, could be a child. Who or how, who and how, will you choose to accept that person? Maybe your step is to walk out of here completely different than you came in. And that's your choice. To say, I'm going to choose to accept Jesus, who already accepts me. But to enter into that relationship, I've got to accept his offer and his invitation. Today could be that day that will affect your eternity as well as your life on this side of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to change, to become better. Friends and fathers and moms and coworkers and Lord, I pray that you just allow us to recognize the change in us that can happen through you and to come alongside others, you know, as well. Help us to stop playing the change game, but to come alongside and to encourage, to love, to accept to be there. Father, we love you and we pray that you would draw people to yourself even now. If there's anybody in this room who's not yet chosen you, today could be your day where you simply just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. And you allow him to begin the change in you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.